Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. Today, I'm going to be telling you guys about the disappearance of Dorothy Arnold. Today, I am drinking some Passion Berry Jolt tea, well, iced tea. <laughs> okay. Uh, and today, I am drinking a coffee, a Folgers coffee. Yes. Yeah. Erica and I implemented this, and I don't know that we're great at it. So <laughs> bear with us. <laughs> so if you guys hate it, please tell us and we'll never do it again. Because <laughs> we kind of hate it ourselves. Anyway, pour ourselves a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. Cheers. We will continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for our Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. Dorothy Arnold was born July 1st, 1886 in New York, New York. To her parents, Frances Rose and Mary Parks Arnold. She also had three siblings from the same parents. Her father was a Harvard graduate. He was really well known in the area. He had become a senior partner at a perfume and cologne imports business. And so because of this, they were extremely, extremely wealthy. And they were also known descendants of a passenger from the Mayflower named William Brewster. So everybody in the area was really familiar with the Arnolds. They were also, because of their status and because of their financial status as well, they were listed in the New York City Social, which is a semi-annual publication in the U.S. that would put together and basically note the members of American High Society. Dorothy herself was the oldest of the all four children, and she had received her education at Velton School for Girls, and from there, she went to college at Bryn Mawr, where she received a degree in literature and language. And her dream throughout all of this was to eventually become a writer. She officially graduated college in 1905 and moved back to her parents' house in New York. At the time, it wasn't very typical, I guess, for a woman to have a career and to have passions and dreams, I guess. So her parents didn't support the idea of Dorothy becoming a writer. She kind of fought against them throughout this and, you know, made it very clear that this was her dream. This is what she wanted to do and basically decided that she was going to do it regardless of whether or not her family supported her. In the spring of 1910, so about five years after she graduated college, she submits a short story to McClure's magazine, but they reject her work. Her family finds out that her work was rejected and they basically, her friends and her family just give her crap for even trying and for sending in any of her work because they're like, you shouldn't be working, you shouldn't be writing, like 
just give up. Sounds like a supportive family. Very supportive, yes. Very encouraging. And I don't know if it was just because of their social status specifically. Like they were just like, you know, the, the man should come in and take care of the woman and you shouldn't have to work. But if she had these aspirations and if she wanted to, like you should support that and encourage that no matter what. But different time, you know, it was over a hundred years ago. Dorothy, however, I'm assuming was most likely upset from this. She wasn't going to give up. So she ends up setting up a P.O. box and doesn't, from what I understand, she didn't tell anybody about it. And she starts secretly talking with publishers and doing it kind of like under her family's noses just so that they don't know and so that they can't make fun of her for trying. At one point, Dorothy asks her dad if she can get an apartment in Greenwich Village so that she can really concentrate on her writing and not be distracted by family and probably not be distracted by the negative comments of her family. But her dad ends up saying, nope, you are going to continue to live here. And then he told her that a good writer can write anywhere. In the fall of 1910, so just a few months later, Dorothy submits a second story to the McClure's magazine. And once again, they reject her. So she is obviously heartbroken at this. She's put a lot of time and a lot of effort into her writing. And so she's very upset. I mean, I would also be upset if I put in months and months worth of work into something and then somebody rejects it saying, you know, this isn't good enough. Not to mention when she's clearly going to like she's probably trying to prove a point to her family and to herself as well. Yes. Oh, I'm sure. And it begs the question, you know, is she being denied this chance to have her story in the magazine because she isn't it's not a good piece it's not good writing or is she being denied solely because she's a woman trying to put something in a magazine yeah i mean it very likely could be the latter of those either way dorothy ends up telling her family you know i tried again they denied me again i'm assuming she was looking for some sort of support or something or like encouragement or I don't know just wanting somebody to talk to about it but once again they completely make fun of her they're really harsh about it and she is even more upset at this on December 12th 1910 around noon 25 year old Dorothy leaves her parents house and she is planning on going out to run a few different errands And then her plan is to come back home. So one of the things that she's specifically going to do is pick out a gown to wear to her sister's coming out party that's going to be occurring soon. And so she needs a very pretty gown. And as we know, they were a prominent family in the community. So I'm sure that there was some sort of image that needed to be upheld. When she left her house, she was dressed in a normal outfit that she would wear for a day around the town. So she had her blue coat on. She had a straight cut skirt, a hat made of black velvet that had two white roses and a pale blue lining and she carried a large fox muff to keep her hands warm and she also had her money with her in there as well very indicative of the time period for somebody who's got money very much (laughs) the outfit is yes her mom had offered to go out with her around town to shop because she knew that she was going to be trying on those dresses and she wanted to be able to help her daughter pick one out But Dorothy's like, no, you go ahead and you stay home. I'm just going to go on my own, which is believed to be because 
Dorothy's mom was actually sick and not feeling well at the time. It's believed that Dorothy just didn't want her mom to have to like leave the house because she mm-hmm. wasn't feeling well. And she also, I mean, we're seeing she's pretty strong-willed and she's pretty stubborn and determined. So I'm assuming she's also very independent. And so she's probably like, I can go out and do this on my own. I don't need your like your help, if I, if you, especially when you're not feeling well. <clears throat> so she leaves her house and goes to the Park and Tilford store. On her family's tab, she buys a box of chocolates. Then she walks to... Brentano's bookstore where she buys a book called Engaged Girl Sketches by Emily Calvin Blake. And around two o'clock is when she leaves the bookstore. She runs into her friend Gladys King. They talk for a little bit, catch up. Everything seems totally normal. At the end of their conversation, Dorothy tells Gladys that she's going to go and take a walk through Central Park for a little bit and continue on with her day. So at this point, Dorothy and Gladys go their separate ways. And that is the last time that Dorothy Arnold was ever seen. That evening, the Arnolds had all had plans to have dinner together. And when Dorothy didn't show up on time, Frances and Mary became really concerned because Dorothy was always on time for anything ever. So they call around to some of Dorothy's friends and ask them if any of them have seen their daughter, but no one's seen her. I guess that in this these calls they don't call Gladys which I don't know how close of a friend they were or if they just kind of were acquaintances and just knew each other when they're calling around to the friends nobody's seen her and so they're kind of like let's just wait a little bit let's not overreact and we'll just see if she comes back so it was December 12th that she left around noon right a little after midnight on December 13th so December 12th just ended a woman named Elsie Henry calls the Arnold's house and says, is there any new news on Dorothy? And Dorothy's mother answers and tells Elsie that Dorothy came home, but she couldn't come to the phone right now because she has a headache. But the real reason that she couldn't answer the phone is because she didn't come back home. (laughs) To this day, it's not really known why Dorothy's mom kind of lied on the phone. Not even kind of. Actually lied on the phone to Elsie. Yeah, that seems like the opposite thing you'd want to do if you want people out keeping an eye out for your missing daughter correct and the only thing i could think of is that they were just trying to keep up their image like if they were just trying to keep up the idea that you know everything's okay we're the perfect family and that they didn't want people to worry because at this point they still hadn't notified any police or anyone that dorothy was missing or they murdered her and it's a big cover-up no that's john benet ramsey Mm, debatable anyways Regardless of what you believe, I mean, that is a possibility. We will get into the theories. However, the next morning, Dorothy still is not home. She doesn't call. Nobody's seen her. So her dad, Francis, calls a family friend and lawyer named John Keith. And John comes to the house and searches Dorothy's room and talks with her parents and tries to find out if there's anything going on that he could figure out where Dorothy could have possibly gone. But once again, not involving the police keeping this private, doing all the internal investigation just with this lawyer that they hired. When John's looking around the room, he doesn't really find anything weird. The only thing that he finds is some things that have been burnt in the fireplace that might be a little suspicious, I guess. So they found rejection letters, and that's when they found out that she'd been corresponding with more publishers than just the McClure's. And they also found some brochures for cruise ships going to Europe. Maybe the family planted them there. You're really going on this whole family thing, aren't you? 
<laughs> I'm sticking with it. Okay. So they do notice when they're searching her room that none of her valuables were gone. It was it was just like what she'd had on her that day. And she I don't think she had a big chunk of money from my understanding that on her that day. So there was very little that she'd taken with her. I mean, if her family had like tabs open at different stores, she probably didn't need a whole lot with her. No. I that is my assumption you know a lot of the places that she went she probably could have just charged it to them so the little bit of money that she had would have just gone to the other places and that's why we know like where she was at and what time she was there because Mm -hmm. she was charging stuff to their tab what her parents start to think and what they kind of tell John is that they think that Dorothy may have gone off with her boyfriend somewhere so she did have a boyfriend I hadn't mentioned him yet His name is George Griscom Jr. And he was 42 years old at the time. So 17 years older than Dorothy. And he lived in Boston. George was not somebody that her parents ever liked. They'd always disapproved of him. One thing that they didn't like was the age gap between the two. But they also felt like he was lazy. And they thought that that he was kind of just wanting to kind of live off of Dorothy almost. Mm, and like the family money. Yes. If they were to get married. Yes. But there was apparently a quote by Francis, which was Dorothy's dad, in regards to why she, why he didn't like George and why he didn't want Dorothy and George together. And he said, quote, I would have been glad to see her associate more with young men than she did, especially some young men of brains and position, one whose profession or business would keep him occupied. I don't approve of young men who have nothing to do. End quote. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> he seems really nice. <laughs> he does not like him, that's for sure. No, he does not. <laughs> he Accurate. basically called him dumb and lazy. Correct. Yes. <laughs> and so the other thing that they're keeping in mind and that they tell John is that a year before she had disappeared, she had lied to her parents and told them that she was going to go visit a friend from college. But when she was doing that she actually went to boston to go see george and then her parents found out about this and they're like you're not allowed to see george again Mm. but john looked into george and they found that he was actually in italy at the time that dorothy went missing and so they're like it's highly unlikely that she somehow went off with him they did send him a telegraph though to ask a telegraph to ask if he knew where she could have gone but he didn't know where she was and the Arnolds were not super thrilled with this answer. So Mary and Dorothy's brother, John, went to Italy in January. So within a month of Dorothy going missing to talk to him face to face. And they apparently met in Florence and had uh, like in this hotel room and had this conversation. And George was like, I am in love with Dorothy. I'm concerned for her. I, I'm worried about her, but I don't know where she is. And her brother, John, didn't like the answer i guess and punched him right in the face oh that was that was their conversation and then they left and went kind of right back to new york a little bit i i'm sure that there was unless we go with abby's theory that the family was involved but i'm sure that there was (laughs) some sort of you know i mean they're worried there's a lot of things going on in their minds listen they're showing violent tendencies now it is a little violent i'm almost led to believe that it's because of the stress of the situation lawyer john keith is still searching he's looking in every morgue hospital he's looking at ship ports not finding anything 
John tells the family, look, I need more help. Like, I can't search everything. Once again, this is the early 1900s. I, there's probably not a whole lot of resources. I don't, he can't just pull out a computer and Google things and, like, start calling around all these places. Like, this is going to take a lot of time and effort. So he admits, you know, I need assistance with this. So they call George S. Darty, who is the head of the Pinkerton Detective Agency. And so they bring him in to start helping because Francis still refuses to involve the police. That detective agency helps search for six weeks. They're still unable to find Dorothy. So they suggest that the police should officially be contacted. They're like, look, it's been a while. It's been over a month. We need to contact the police officially. I cannot believe they hadn't contacted them yet. It wasn't until mid-January of 1911. So over a month, the time Dorothy was last seen, that the police were finally called. Even though the family brought the police on, the police weren't able to find any new clues. Wanting to bet that that was because it was over a month later, so there probably wasn't a whole lot of clues to find anymore. Police do advise Francis that he needs to hold a public press conference. And Francis was kind of leery about it because he's like, you know, I don't want the publicity of this. I just... I want to keep it private, which I don't, I struggle with that because if somebody's missing, publicity is exactly what you want so that everybody's looking for them. Yeah, they, it sounds like they care more about their reputation than their daughter, essentially. Which is a whole different issue and Mm -hmm. very frustrating. On January 25th, 1911 is when the press conference is officially held and the family offers a $1,000 reward for the return of Dorothy, which... In 2023, that would be about a $30,000 reward. And her disappearance is spread everywhere officially. Every newspaper in America is discussing the fact that Dorothy is missing. In this, of course, it's funny how it's the same back then, but police received thousands of tips and reported sightings and all of these things. And every single one of them was, it was false. Nothing actually ended up being Dorothy or proving or pointing towards Dorothy in any real way. They also, the family also received two ransom notes, each asking for $5,000, which is about $152,000 in 2023, asking for that money in exchange for Dorothy. And they also, some of these letters were threatening one of his other daughters and all, all of these ended up being hoaxes. They police investigated them. Nothing was there. Yeah. And I mean, they wouldn't be waiting till this long to be sending the ransom note. Yeah, as soon as it becomes public and people know about it, they're like, oh, by the way, I do have your daughter. Dorothy still to this day has not been seen or heard from. There's been no body ever found. There's been no evidence that she was murdered, no evidence that she left on her own. There's just, there's a lot of different theories. So we're going to get into some of these theories, Miss Abby. So the first one is, did she run away from home? Did she go to live with her boyfriend? And, you know, he just didn't give it away when she, his when her family came to Italy. We are aware that her family was not the most supportive. And she was probably slightly frustrated with them for making fun of her and getting rid of her dream, basically, like, crushing it. So potentially? Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, I mean, it makes for a good alibi if you don't take anything with you and you disappear like she did you know they think something happened because she didn't take her stuff but she actually goes to italy to live with her boyfriend makes sense to me that one makes sense the other thing that i hadn't mentioned yet is in february of 1911 the family does receive a postcard 
that says, I am safe, and has a signature from Dorothy. Oh, did it look like her signature? It did. But Francis was like, they must have just copied Dorothy's signature. Could it have been her? Yeah. Is what he felt. However, if we go with this theory, at least it was nice of her to like be like, hey, I'm safe, but... I don't know how she could have proved that she was safe. I don't I don't know. I mean, I like that theory because that means nothing bad happened to her. I also like that theory. And like, sure, you're in theory putting stress on your family, but they clearly didn't care that much. Well, that's the at thing. least not as much as they should have. That's the thing. Yeah, they were not very supportive and it took them how long before they even felt like they should involve police like before they were like yeah i guess we could hurt our image a little bit and it just doesn't sit right with me we're not getting into the family yet so the next theory is that because dorothy had a man in her life there was some speculation that she was potentially pregnant not married at the time it was really frowned upon in the early 1900s it's possible that she died during an illegal abortion And then her body was disposed of. Mm. Now, this theory doesn't just come out of nowhere. It comes from a comes from about 1914. There was a doctor named Cece Meredith who was arrested for running an illegal abortion mill. And there was also a nurse named Lucy Orr and a doctor named Dr. Lutz that were also arrested for this. And and when he was arrested, Dr. Lutz tells police that Dr. Meredith had told him that he had performed an abortion on Dorothy and she didn't survive. So one doctor mm. tells police that the other doctor admits to the abortion with Dorothy. Okay. That's sad. Dr. Lutz, after he says this, apparently Dr. C.C. Meredith does say that he cremated her in the hospital inc- incinerator. But there's some evidence apparently that disproves this theory so i don't know if this was like a search for fame like they were trying to get some sort of their name out there or what this was but it's kind of weird but apparently in november of 1910 dorothy was spending thanksgiving with her friend in washington and dorothy had complained that she wasn't feeling well and her friend asked her you know what's wrong and dorothy's like well i'm on my period and so i'm having like period cramps and stuff and so this would have been less than a month before she had gone missing. So she, oh. it would have been unlikely that she would have been pregnant at the time. Yeah. I won't say it would be completely unlikely because women do yeah. sometimes have their period when they're pregnant at the beginning anyways. And she could have also been lying about being Correct. on her period. Like maybe she was having pains from her pregnancy. Correct. The family, however, believes that Dorothy was most likely kidnapped and then murdered. Her father thinks that when she was walking through Central Park, she possibly was attacked and then dumped in a reservoir. He said that two clues led him to believe this, but he never announced what those clues were. He just kept telling police, I want you to drag the reservoir at Central Park Lake and look for it. But police were like, I mean, we can, but the body of water was frozen over. It was December in New York. So of like there was no way that her body had gone in there that night and like let's be honest if they had an inkling that she was pregnant and died from an abortion they're not going to come out and say that they're going to push the other narrative so that they look better quote unquote you know what i mean if it is that one but we're on two different theories because the doctor said that 
he threw her body in an incinerator. The dad thought that she was kidnapped by somebody else and not because of an abortion, just kidnapped separately. I know, but I, oh. what I was saying was that he would say that to if, if he did think she died from an abortion, from getting pregnant, the dad might say this. Got that it. she was kidnapped and murdered to look better, to make them Got look it. better. I hear what you're saying now. That makes sense. Yeah. There is a theory that came from our all-time favorite informant, a felon who was in prison. So They're usually true. They're always, right? So in April of 1916, Edward Glenaris, who was in Rhode Island State Prison, um, he was serving time for extortion. He wanted to confess a bunch of things, and he claimed that an acquaintance had asked him to transport an unconscious woman from New Rochelle, New York, to a house in West Point. And when he got there, he was met by two other men, one named Doc and another person who was dressed really nicely. And he thought it was her boyfriend, George. And on the drive, somebody had told him that the unconscious woman was Dorothy Arnold. And then the next day, Edward, our prisoner, received a phone call from somebody that said, you know, Dorothy died. And so they paid him $250 to bury her in the basement of a house. This is a wild story. And like, I, as you yeah. can tell, I was kind of struggling to follow it. But police went to a house that fit the description of what Edward was giving. And he's like, you know, I, I buried her underneath the cement in the cellar. And they found an area of broken cement, but it was way too small for a body. And when they asked the owners about it, they're like, that's just to access a gas pipe. And so they, they did active, actually dig it up, which props to the police that are investigating this at the time because they're putting in effort mm -hmm. and I appreciate it. And it does reveal two gas pipes and nothing else down there. One more thing and then we'll go into Abby's theory because I know Abby has a theory. I will say that the Arnold family in all spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars searching for Dorothy. They put a lot of money into this investigation. However, by Valentine's Day, about two months after she went missing, they made it very clear that they believed that she was dead. And the district attorney, Charles Whitman at the time, offered to assist the Arnold family in finding Dorothy. And Francis was like, no, she's she's dead. We're like, we don't need your assistance. And Mr. Whitman was like, no, like I, I will put a lot of people on this case. Like we, we, I will bring detectives in. I will bring other people in and we will do all of this and we'll find Dorothy. And Francis is like, no, don't like, we're not lo looking for Dorothy any longer. And Mr. Whitman backed out. And that was the end of the search for Dorothy. Just two months after she went missing. All right, Abby. Give me your thoughts. Solid parents, first off. No, I, yeah. I do actually think it's more likely that she either took off or the abortion thing makes sense, especially with the doctors admitting to it. Because who's going to say that when you're already getting incriminated for this? Unless it's true. The family clearly had some issues, so they could have killed her and covered it up. I do find the family very suspicious in all of this, just because... I just I, I struggle with you know she's gone okay let's just not look for her anymore and there has yeah. to come a point right where you're you just not that I I like this answer but you know after so long I think you have to kind of move on with your life to an extent and 
mm-hmm. be okay with maybe never getting answers but that's not easy like that's yeah. not something that you could easily do no. especially two months in like that's that just seems so early to just well, yeah okay that's it well, there's nothing else we can do let's examine this so let's say you know clearly they're disappointed by dorothy for her trying to be an independent woman and let's say she does accidentally end up pregnant and they find out about it so she goes and does her stuff setting up an alibi she comes actually comes home they kill her and then they eventually like hey she's missing and call people to establish more of an alibi and then in the middle of the night when they're trying to like dispose of her when the one lady calls they're like oh she's home and has a headache or whatever so she can't talk so thinking that this lady will kind of tell people oh she's home stop looking gives them time to cover up their tracks yeah I, I can see the theory. And then, of course, not involving the police for a month. And then ending after two months since she went missing. So they, they look for her for a month. Mm-hmm. Correct. And a turned down free help. So, look, it's not out of the realm of possibilities, I don't think. I agree. It doesn't look great for the family. It's one of the ones where I could see a lot of the different things. Like, I could see her leaving on her own accord. There are... There's reasons to believe that she would have just left and maybe not even to go live with her boyfriend, but maybe just left and to start a new life. Mm -hmm. Right. And I have said a thousand times on this podcast and in in real life, if you've talked to me, I find it so hard for somebody just to start their life over unless it's back in this time period in the 1800s and the early 1900s. Like anything 1960, 1970 and on, I find unlikely at that point but anything before that yeah sure there's there are very minimal records of people back then right like there's a record of you but there's not there's not cameras that are facial recognition you don't have your id you don't have credit cards that you're using every single place that you go like it's very easy to fly under the radar at this time and so i wouldn't be surprised by that the abortion makes sense too like that one i once again, why would the doctors admit to that? I, I do agree with that. That one makes me sad, so I don't like to think that's what happened. I would like to think that she just went on and lived her life separately and she changed her name and she became a very well-known writer that we still don't, that used a pen name and we don't know who it was, but she was just an amazing writer. I don't know. I would just like to think the happy things because this is one where we just don't really have great answers, but I do agree that the family looks really suspicious in this as well. Frances Arnold did end up dying in July of 1922, so about 12 years after Dorothy went missing. And then his wife ended up dying in September of 1928. When Francis died, he did leave a will, and in his will, he did not put Dorothy in it. And this was what he said, quote, I have made no provision for my beloved daughter, Dorothy H.C. Arnold, as I am satisfied that she is not alive, end quote. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. 
Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.